When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Spectrum 10K. Not an ancient PC, but Britain's biggest ever study of autism. A new research project is recruiting 10,000 people with autism. Spectrum 10K will be led by the University of Cambridge. The Spectrum 10K project wanted to recruit 10,000 people with autism to try to understand the genetic and environmental factors in the condition. The plan was to ask 10,000 autistic people to contribute their DNA to help improve the world's understanding of autism. But just weeks after launch, one of the country's leading researchers put it on pause. We are anti-eugenics Autism itself doesn't need a cure, but obviously, you know, that message hasn't been communicated clearly enough. So we just want to kind of pause the study. It followed a backlash from some autistic people. They argued that a DNA database could lead to genetic discoveries that one day might mean autism being designed out of humanity. Whether those fears were well-founded or not, the chequered history of disability research casts a long shadow. It's a very painful story, really. This doctor working under the Nazi regime, his signature is on those letters. The separation of autistic people into low value and high value has been got rid of in the last few years, and this Spectrum 10K study is trying to bring it back in through the back door. As the genetic revolution picks up pace, could this be among the first of many such confrontations between researchers and those who feel threatened by their work? You're listening to Stories of Our Times and the Times and the Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, the autism row. Genetics under fire. In today's episode, we'll find out all about the Spectrum 10K study as we talk to its proponents and its critics. But first, we'll take a bit of a crash course in autism, beginning with an autistic person. I'm Holly Smale and I am the author of the Geek Girl series. I was diagnosed autistic at the end of last year and yeah, I've been on a bit of a journey about finding out about it ever since. 
Now, the Geek Girl series is it's it really is pretty successful, isn't it? Yeah, we sold three and a half million copies, so I guess that's pretty successful. <laughs> <laughs> Most writers would think it was. Yeah. <laughs> Holly may not have been diagnosed until the age of thirty-nine, but she says the signs were always there, even in her own writing. It was a, a series of books based on me as a teenager about a, a fifteen-year-old girl who is sort of socially inept finds it difficult to communicate with the world and for the world to understand her, doesn't completely understand jokes or sarcasm, is constantly overwhelmed sensorially, and she basically is trying to fit in. It was a coming-of-age story about a teenage girl who was different to a lot of other teenage girls, and I didn't realise until my own diagnosis that my character was autistic as well, and I'd essentially spent 10 years writing about autism without realising it. Holly, you wrote for The Times about your experience, and it was striking. You said when you were finally diagnosed at the end of last year, your psychologist said, congratulations, and that meant something to you. How, a year on, do you see your diagnosis? It's been completely life-changing. I don't think that a lot of neurotypical people can understand why, and I, you know, I can kind of see that, but, but basically when you spent your entire life knowing that you're different, and I knew I was different from the age of three, and assuming that that meant I was broken and being told daily that it meant that I was broken by everybody, whether it was aggressive or whether it was microaggressive, as in why are you like this? I internalized all of that. And by the time, you know, I was in my 30s, I had mental health problems through the roof. I spent four decades hiding myself, hating myself and, and wishing that I understood why everyone behaved the way they did around me. Up until then, of course, people didn't know that you were autistic and you didn't know. So when you were talking about how people were reacting to you, what were the kinds of characteristics which you were exhibiting that somehow or other got the bullies onto you? I was different to other children. I liked being alone. I didn't like other children very much, but I did recognise that I was supposed to like them, so I tried. I tried to communicate by monologuing at them, (laughs) by correcting their grammar. They didn't like me at all for that. I'm very sensorily sensitive, like most autistic people. So lights, sounds, crowds, all of that would send me into overwhelm. I'd hide under tables. I'd put my hands over my eyes or my ears. I'd scream. That didn't make me very popular. I was very fussy about my food. So everyone just thought that I was a real diva. I mean, there's so many different things, especially when it's gendered and the expectations of gender are inflicted upon you as well. Because the reality is, if I was a boy, I think I'd have been spotted as autistic immediately because I have every single characteristic. (laughs) The reason I wasn't was because I was a girl. Looking back now, I realised just how many adults in my life, professional adults in my life, knew that I was autistic. My nursery teacher on the first day of school said to my mum, when my mum said, you know, why is she on her own in the corner reading a book and everyone else outside playing? And the nursery teacher said, she's just a a different little girl and she's going to have her own very special path in life. And so she knew. I I mean, whether she knew it was called autism or not, I don't know. And my doctor, when I was 17, told me that my brain was wired differently to other people and that it was nothing to be ashamed of. And I didn't get it because he didn't say you're autistic. So this carries on over the years. And then in the article that you wrote, you talked about flirting with a TV presenter on Hinge. And that is the key to unlocking. Despite everything you said about all these other differences, this is the moment. Could you describe that moment and why it was the moment? 
I mean, I've written a book about an autistic girl for 10 years. And so over 10 years, people come up to me a lot and say, you're autistic, or is your character autistic? And I would push back. So it had been bubbling around in the back of my mind for a long time. And every time I tried to research it, it would say lack of empathy. And I'd go, well, I have empathy, so that's not me. So I would look away again. And then I was trying to, uh, the dating has always been incredibly difficult for me. I don't think I've ever had a proper serious relationship. I mean, I can be flirted with it unless someone says, I like you and want to date you. I will not understand that they're flirting. And I was trying to talk to a guy online who I never met. And I accidentally said something that offended him immensely. And I didn't mean to, but he didn't believe that I didn't mean to. He got so angry that he basically yelled at me for, I mean, on text yelled hmm. in capitals for the next six or seven hours. I was a narcissist. I was cruel. I had no empathy. There was something wrong with me. This is why he didn't online date. And I had a full meltdown. I've had meltdowns all my life, which basically means that I disassociate. And to be honest, I don't know quite what happens because I don't remember it. I black out. But for an entire day, I was lying on the sofa underneath a blanket in darkness, sobbing hysterically. And it's really painful and terrifying. I got out of that the next day and I just remember thinking it's not normal. This is not the first time that people have said this to me. There's something wrong with me. And so I started researching again and for the first time I wrote Autism in Girls and Women. And then that was when the penny dropped. You can spend an entire lifetime with all these words being thrown at you and, and struggling. And it takes a random guy off hinge to yell at you and actually make you realise your own neurology. Mind you, it does sound as if he had a problem too. I would say so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he. I mean, that's one of the weird things about being autistic is is you assume you're wrong. And so by the end of that, I, I assumed I'd done something horrible and I was a horrible person. And it wasn't until the next day that I took the text messages to my friends and went, what, what did I do? And they were like, Holly, this guy is mad. <laughs> like, look at his responses. Now, one of the things that's happened is that it's had a knock-on inside your family, which is really quite tricky to understand. Can you take me through the business with your mum? She uh, She's autistic as well. She's in her 70s, and she struggled with the exact same things as I did when I was younger. This is very common. It didn't exist when she was at school. And now people are being retroactively diagnosed via their children. And I think everyone just assumed that I was a mini version of her. All of my eccentricities, as you might put it, we're like, well, she's just like her mum. Oh, her mum screams at loud noise as well. To the point where I remember I was talking to her yesterday about, you know, things that, that I did as a kid that were autistic. And my mum went, yeah, but all children do that. And I went, they don't, mum. They don't hide in a ball in the bathroom because the hand dryer is too loud. You know what I mean? Like, that's not all children. If you are diagnosed autistic, there's a really strong chance that someone in your family, mum, dad, grandparents, that someone in there is autistic as well. More from Holly later. But for now, this brings us to the next part of our autism crash course, the bit about genetics and heritability. If autism runs in families, is there a way it can be identified earlier? Autism is about 1% of the population. But in families where there's already one autistic child, the likelihood that the next child is autistic jumps up to about 20 or 30%. It's time to meet the scientist leading the Spectrum 10K study. I'm Simon Baron-Cohen, professor at Cambridge University. 
Simon is director of the Autism Research Centre at Cambridge. If you recognise the surname, it's probably because his cousin is Sasha Baron Cohen of Borat fame. Simon has been studying autism since the 1980s. Simon, the history of the study of autism suggests, as with the study of almost all such conditions, a significant evolution of thinking about it and lots of false starts and stops along the way. Yeah, you know, autism's been known about since the 1940s. Autism comes from the Greek word autos, which means self. This idea that autistic people mostly only see their own point of view. So it's a kind of preoccupation with one's own perspective and maybe entails a difficulty in taking other people's perspectives. The way autism is defined clinically is when the person is having social difficulties and communication difficulties, also difficulties with adjusting to unexpected change. So these are individuals who like things to be predictable. It's also associated with areas of strength or even talent, such as excellent attention to detail, sometimes excellent memory for detail, and unusually narrow interests. So it's kind of a a mix of disability and difference. It's a very broad spectrum simply because you can have these co-occurring conditions like learning difficulties. Can you tell me about the Spectrum 10K study, what it is and what you're trying to find out? What we're interested to find out is, first of all, more information on the genetic and non-genetic causes of autism, particularly why autism is so varied. It's a really broad spectrum. You know, there are some people who are autistic who've got good language and others who've got minimal language. There are some autistic people with learning difficulties and others who've got very good intelligence. Lots of variation in outcome. So we're trying to understand that variability. And then I suppose more importantly, in autistic people, there's a much greater likelihood of co-occurring chronic health conditions like epilepsy, gastrointestinal pain. So we're just trying to understand, you know, why are these links there? That opens the door for more tailored treatments. As part of the study, the researchers want to gather DNA, saliva samples, from 10,000 participants. We're also encouraging them to take lots of online questionnaires so we can look at not just their, their DNA, but also lots of information about their medical history, their early development. It's not all genetic. Other research is looking, for example, at pregnancy factors, parental age at the time of the baby's conception. So there's a lot of complexity to it. So, at the end of this process, what you could do is examine the results from the genetic test against the questionnaires which you sent out is one of the things that you could conceivably do, which might give you some significant information about associations. Yes, exactly. So I started off by saying, you know, there's huge variability, but we've just got this single-term autism And what we're hoping by the end of the study is that there'll be meaningful subgroups that will emerge so that we can maybe stop talking about autism as if all autistic people are the same and try to identify these meaningful subgroups that might need different kinds of support. Yeah, one of the very interesting questions is whether if you have such a broad spectrum, you're actually always describing a variation on the same thing. Mm. You know, in all likelihood, it's actually not a single dimension. We're looking at multiple dimensions of difference. But yeah, theories have changed. They've come and gone over the decades. 
including believing that autism was purely emotional, the result of parents not providing the right emotional environment for their children. The refrigerator mother. Yeah. Nowadays, we do recognize it as a biomedical condition because we know that it is partly genetic and it affects the way the brain is developing. We've got this new concept of neurodiversity, or relatively new. The brain comes in many different forms, and we should be celebrating that diversity. Now, you've just put the study on pause. Can you explain why that happened? Yeah, I should say, just to be even-handed, we've had over 4,000 autistic people sign up, or their parents, if it's uh, someone who's under 16. But we were also hearing lots of concerns about the study. The biggest concern that seemed to be coming out was, you know, what's going to happen to my DNA? Who is it going to be shared with? And most critically, could the results of genetic research ever be used to eradicate us? Coming up, why the troubled history of autism research casts such a shadow over Spectrum 10K. But first, a message from a beloved colleague. I'm Matt Chorley. I'm a columnist for The Times and presenter on Times Radio. And we try to cover all the biggest stories, bringing you politics without the boring bits. We can only do this thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. So subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. No one's here to talk to us. We've got all of these people out here, all autistic. And that's how it is in reality. We are locked out of any research or anything about us, and it shouldn't be like that. It's a crisp October day and a small group of protesters are standing outside the Autism Research Centre at Cambridge University. Their placards read, Embrace, Don't Erase, and Boycott Spectrum 10K. There is no argument that this is not eugenics. Simon Baron Cohen has got into bed with eugenicists and I and we and the autistic community object. It's not a big protest, but it's a small physical manifestation of a larger online backlash calling for a boycott of Spectrum 10K. I'm Charlotte. I'm autistic. The Spectrum 10K project might be harmless. The problem is we have been burned throughout history. There was going to be a backlash. There was always going to be. What, have they got their eyes closed not to know that? They contacted me and a bunch of other people in this autism online community. I don't know how I feel about this, guys. These people are taking your DNA. What are they going to do with it? Over 5,000 people signed a petition to have the study stopped altogether. I'm not confident with Spectrum 10K. I'll be straight up. And to understand that, you have to understand the history of autism research and what until recently was known as Asperger's syndrome. How much of the suspicion about this do you think is down to the history of the man who gave his name to Asperger's syndrome in the first place? So I edit a journal, a scientific journal. It's called Molecular Autism. That's Simon Baron Cohen again. In 2018, the journal published an article about Hans Asperger, the paediatrician. It was research from a a medical historian who had unearthed the clinical records from Hans Asperger's clinic. And what this historian had found was that Hans Asperger had signed referral letters sending a handful of autistic children to a clinic that everybody knew during the Second World War was a euthanasia clinic. All doctors would have known that, you know, that children were sent there and they didn't come back. So the fact that his signature was at the bottom of those referral letters, you know, even for one child would have been one too many. Many people in the autism community decided after that that we should stop using the term Asperger's syndrome. You know, it's it's a very it's a very painful story, really. Yeah. You know, you have to imagine this doctor who might well have been well intentioned working under the Nazi regime. But nevertheless, you know, his signature is on those letters. And do you think that that, to a certain extent, has rubbed off for some people on the rest of of the current scientists who've been studying autism? I'm not sure. I think there is a sort of general worry about what is genetics research in the field of autism? Where is it going to lead? Holly, let's talk about the Spectrum 10K study. One of the most respected authorities 
on autism is conducting this very substantial survey. And you are one of the people who has objected to what it is and what it's trying to do. Could you take us through what your objections to the study are? If you know much about autism history, which unfortunately the majority of people don't, and I'm including parents of autistic children here, you know that it's been 100 years of trying to distinguish, first of all, boys who they identified as autistic, of them separating them into value and not value. So what happened in the Second World War was that they basically distinguished between autistic children who they saw as the little professors and had value, and those that didn't and were sent to die. And over the last few years, the word Asperger's has been removed as a diagnosis for the exact reason that neurology is neurology and you are autistic or you're not, and that there is not more value in being a human just because perhaps you're seen as good at maths. The separation of uh, autistic people into low value and high value, your low IQ, high IQ, has been got rid of in the last few years. And this Spectrum 10K study is trying to bring it in back in through the back door. Simon Baron-Cohen, I'm going to quote something that he said on the BBC when it went released. Um, this is a study trying to understand why some autistic people have no language and others good, good language. language. Why do some have learning difficulties and others don't? Why do some people have good mental health? and others don't, and we're just inviting 10,000 autistic people to take part. So immediately they're trying to find some kind of genetic source why some people have what they perceive as more value and I'm, some I'm sorry, don't. Harry, so I'm, that's I'm why sorry, sorry Harry, why is that not a perfectly reasonable thing to do? It might seem to quite a lot of listeners, yeah, well, do that. Try and find out what there is to find out. What exactly do you think they're looking for? A gene that distinguishes between autistic people who have higher intelligence and lower intelligence, better mental health, lower mental health. And then what happens if they do find it? So presumably they're going to find the gene that says you're an autistic person, but you're the less good kind. You're the less valuable kind. You're not going to be a math genius. So then what? So they get rid of that child before they're born or what? So essentially your worry is that they will find or they're looking for and may find a genetic association which is capable of being manipulated so that people with those traits are not born. What they're looking for is understanding the biology of autism to improve detection, diagnosis and precision in intervention based on gene discovery and well-defined subgrouping. They're basically looking for a gene that says, do you have the good or the bad kind of autism? And they're can be no way of following up on that other than eugenics, which they're saying that they're not doing. And they want to know why mental health is so different amongst autistic people, while also saying that they'd like to find a gene to fix them, cure them, change them, work out why some of them are shit and some of them are not shit, and then wonder why people have depression and anxiety. Okay, but, okay, but, like, but if we're going to be fair about this for a moment, they don't actually say any of those things. You said those things, but they don't say those things. Well, I just quoted what they did actually say, which is to improve detection, diagnosis and provision intervention. I know, but those don't necessarily amount to the things that you've just said, do they? If you've got people asking for your spit so they can work out why some of you achieve in life and others don't, you would not be unemotional about it. And that gets used against us, which is completely ridiculous. As you know, the Spectrum 10K study has been suspended for a while for consultation. I imagine from what you're saying that your view of that is that's just a camouflage to say that they've done it and then they'll just carry on with the study that you don't think should happen at all. 
yeah, it's just a camouflage. Of course it is. It's not, they keep saying they want to ask autistic people for more input. This study was submitted years and years ago. You don't get a study this far down the line and then ask for input from the people that are affected by it. It's a study that's even divided autism researchers. I think we've hit a real transition stage in autism research. We're at a bit of a fork in the road. That's Sue Fletcher-Watson, Professor of Developmental Psychology at the University of Edinburgh. There's a group of people who are really pushing for sort of subcategorizing autism to make predictions about one person in the group based on what other people in the group are like. That will never work, in my opinion. And instead, we should look at the individual in front of us and try and understand them in terms of the various qualities and experience they bring and respond to that in a very individualised way. The way in which autism has been thought about, at least in the public sphere, the very public sphere, the lay sphere, Mm. is as a spectrum Mm. with, if you want to use the word, more severe problematic forms at one end and what people have come to call functional at the other. In other words, ranging from the child who cannot communicate and bangs its head against the wall on the one hand, right the way down to somebody who can be a best-selling author at the other end. Mm -hmm. Is that a useful way of thinking about it? I think that's too linear. You can't line up all the autistic people in the world in order of how autistic they are. It's just a more complex property than that. So thinking about your example of the autistic child who doesn't speak, who are we to say that that is a more severe outcome than the autistic person who does speak and has a university degree but is experiencing suicidal thoughts? So I think this idea of functioning in a sort of high to low range takes us away from understanding the challenges that people are facing and the appropriate responses to those. Talking to Simon Baron-Cohen, what you feel is something a little bit like cancer research, which is you're looking at the various different types of physiologies, heritabilities that people have in order to try and discover if you can target much more precisely the kind of treatment which their particular condition requires. And I'm pretty sure that's what he would argue. So your response to that is you don't think that will work. I don't think it will work because the concepts that we're trying to wrestle with are extremely slippery. And so I think taking lessons from cancer research, for example, that sort of precision medicine approach and applying it to something that is not a disease, is not definable in the same way as a physical illness, and where we also don't even have consensus on what good outcomes would be. So that's one reason why I think it won't work. And I think the other reason it won't work is that that approach disregards too much of the lived experience of autistic people by placing a lot of the power and capacity for judgment for deciding what's best in the hands of researchers and clinicians who are wonderful people dedicating their lives to helping people, but sometimes going about it in not always the right way. Simon, 
the objections there have been to, from some people, to the Spectrum 10K study go right the way across the board from privacy concerns. But the underlying one is the idea that if you were to discover much more information about what autism actually consists of. And some of that discovery lay in the field of heritability and genetics. That that might lead people to discriminate in the same way as with Down syndrome against the fetus that exhibits those characteristics. You know, so this is kind of part of the fears that some autistic people have, that what scientists might be trying to do is develop a prenatal test to screen autism during pregnancy, perhaps. You know, similar to what's done, say, for Down syndrome. And that's not the aim of the study. It's not part of our values, actually. But nevertheless, because of those concerns, we've decided to pause the study and do a big consultation with the autism community. But is that sort of prenatal screen test something that is currently possible? I don't think it's possible to diagnose autism prenatally from a genetic test. I've talked to many genetics colleagues in the field of autism research, and you know there's a consensus on that for a number of reasons. One is that autism is very complex, so it's not just a single gene, it's many hundreds of genes. Secondly, it's not simply genetic, there are non-genetic factors. So you can have identical twins where one is autistic and one isn't. Therefore, unlike Down syndrome, you certainly couldn't base a policy around what you do about an embryo on that basis. It's just impossible. That's absolutely right. Yeah. It's really important that we hear autistic people's concerns and their real pain and distress for what it is. Sue Fletcher Watson. I think it's terrifying for autistic people to have that prospect. It's not about saying, well, that's not scientifically plausible people's concerns are valid in and of themselves. And there's obviously also a a history of eugenics around disability more broadly. So these fears are very well-founded and very understandable. What's been very striking and maybe very upsetting is this misunderstanding that the study is somehow wanting to eradicate autistic people. That really is the opposite of of what we want to do. I imagine that in these circumstances, you've actually had to field quite a few allegations yourself. Uh, Some of it is is directed at me. As a, a Jewish scientist, I'm particularly sensitive to how genetics research in the past has been misused towards eugenics. We're both aware of the history. We are anti eugenics we're anti the development of a prenatal test for autism. We're anti a cure for autism because we don't see autism itself as needing a cure. It, it is just a difference. We do think particular symptoms need treatment if they're causing distress, but autism itself doesn't need a cure. It's really part of who the person is. It's part of their identity. I think we have to look not just at the science, but also at uh, the fears. Because if you look at what's happened in Down syndrome, you know, there are some reports that more than 90% of people who would have lived with Down syndrome were terminated, to use a horrible word. If you're someone with Down syndrome and you're looking for people like you and you realize that they've been prevented from living, 
But I think the autism community, you can understand their fear. Could this happen to our community? And that's what you think has happened, which is they've written along a line from Down syndrome to autism. Yeah, you and I were alive when Down syndrome screening was introduced into the NHS. But I don't remember any sort of public ethical debate about should it be introduced. I don't think they should be doing it for Down syndrome, to be honest. But certainly I don't think they should be doing it for autism. I suppose what the autism community are doing, and actually I'm very grateful to them for doing this, is starting that debate now. In late October, the Spectrum 10K team announced that they were moving forward with plans for our co-designed consultation. Nonetheless, the Boycott Spectrum 10K campaign continues. It's almost impossible for the layperson to judge the rights and wrongs of an argument like this. Campaigners insist that the leading scientists are wrong and there are divisions between the scientists themselves. But as we understand more and more about the human genome, and become more able to intervene to alter our genetic inheritance, such disputes are likely to become ever more common. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, David Aronovich, and my guests, Holly Smale, Simon Baring-Cohen, and Sue Fletcher-Watson. The producer was James Shield. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. And if you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.